Yes, it is. As we head into our three, your hour, uh, anything you want, 602-508-0960. Tim is in Peoria. Hi, Tim. Welcome. Yeah, how are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Awesome. You know, I've uh, been listening to your show a lot. I uh, kind of tuned out everybody else but yourself, uh, mostly because of your knowledge in U.S. history and history in general, and obviously very articulate. You mentioned George Washington. So I taught here in the state of Arizona for 12 years, AP U.S. government and AP U.S. history. I left the classroom abruptly when my administrator started to say that people like George Washington were not exceptional Americans. Oh, this my gosh. Back in 2017. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, was, I was a teacher who refused to give multiple choice tests. Everything mm-hmm. was uh, you know, free response questions and so on and so forth. I am just... Uh, I'm taken aback by where we are as a country, but specifically here in the state of Arizona, when it comes to COVID-19 and everything that goes along with it, I haven't heard one Republican in the state of Arizona talk about hearings at the state level as they relate to the COVID response, everything that we've been doing with respect to shutdowns, lockdowns, uh, our schools are still locked down. We have over 130,000 students in the state of Arizona that we count as paper packet kids. They don't have the technology available to do virtual learning. Their learning loss is something that's going to be very difficult to recover since many of them, of those 130,000, have not been in school since last year. At work, I help a parent teach her daughter. Uh, she goes to she's, she's from a lower socioeconomic area here in the Phoenix area. She hasn't been to school since last March. It's all virtual. Luckily, she works for a tech company, so her daughter has all the everything that she needs at her disposal. But I see the learning loss. And I don't see it, obviously, with my kids who have returned to the classroom. I want to know where the where the hearings are. What's Kelly Ward talking about? What's Governor Ducey talking about? Uh, and I listen to your response off the air. And I'd really like to know more. Before about you leave, minutes. before you go up, before, oh, yeah. before you hang up, Tim, first of all, I sure. want to, uh, thank you for your nice words to me. Um, thank you for your service to our children and uh, our country through communicating its history. But let me ask you this. There's just something about you. Would you email me? I, I think what I would like to do is an extended interview with you and take calls from, from parents. It sounds like you have a pretty good beat on advice and help for parents that I know are craving the good stuff. So you taught AP history. I, I, I assume this was at the high school level. Am I right about that? That's correct. Yeah. So I remember that these were the courses people wanted to get into. And, of course, they certainly had to cap them at certain times. And sometimes they even had to test to get into them. These were the courses people wanted to get into. And then the school comes around or these uh, panjandrums who think they know uh, more about what this country needs than it's um, than 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 what has kept us afloat for the previous 240 years. They come and tell you that you can no longer teach the greatness of what keeps us and made us great, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because it destroys. It destroys. We now graduate in this country four million children a year from high school that are drenched in that kind of thought system, Tim. Four million children to the point where you know what I'm about to say. You know NAEP, um, which is known as the nation's report card, National uh, Assessment of Economic Progress. You know for all the hand-wringing we do, for all the hand-wringing we do about math scores, uh, language arts, English, 
uh, reading scores, reading comprehension, science. American history is our children's number one worst subject, and that is a thought crime. We can talk about illegal aliens all day long, and I'm for it. I, you know, I, I, I want to get our hands around the illegal alien problem and the illegal immigration problem, but we're making aliens of our own children in our school system today, and that's the crime. Yeah, absolutely. And when I was teaching in Phoenix, I helped uh, back in 2012 with DACA. I helped 37 students from my high school fill out their did. DACA application. Of course you did. And one of the issues that we saw is they can't even pass right. the immigration test right. because the knowledge isn't there. Right. So I would love, yeah, I, let me email you. Because yeah, my, you, yeah, my yeah, yeah. You can go to my website, uh, our station's website, 960 to pay. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it goes right to me. So email me, please. I would love to do an extended uh, thing <clears throat> with you and listeners. It sounds like you're just the right guy to do it with. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, Seth. You betcha. Thank you for that call again. Thank you to the service of our children. Wouldn't it be great? Can you just imagine, first, imagine how great it would be, two things, how great it would be if every child taking American history had a teacher like that that believed in the greatness of our founders? That's issue one. You know what the worst issue is? That someone has to say that. The idea that you sit here and celebrate the rare or the occasional or the exceptional or the asterisk teacher who actually believes in teaching the wonderfulness of our founders, the greatness of what they gave us, bequeathed to us, gave us the opportunity to even have these debates, discussions, open venues. The idea that I have to say, wouldn't it be great to have a teacher that believed in the founding of America in your history class? is a shame and couldn't have been said 30 years ago. That's what 30 years of progressivism in our school has done. It's made people like Tim leave the profession or have to tailor it to fit what I say are the modern-day panjandrums of public miseducation. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Hi, Rob. How are you? Rob's in surprise. Good to hear from you, brother. I'm... Thank you, Seth. I hope you had a great weekend. I had a great weekend. <laughs> I really we did. did. Too. We uh, and by the way, and this may be filed under your future happiness factor. The way to a woman's heart is to get her a new dishwasher. <laughs> so that's what we did this weekend. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Oh, I um, thought. I thought. I thought. Okay, I didn't think you meant something mechanical. I thought you meant your two hands. I thought you. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm with you now. I got you now. Not, okay. Not, all right. All right. All right. I got gotcha. you. Uh, let's move on. No, yeah, <laughs> let's and, move and, on before we okay. both get into trouble uh, here. Well, okay. Well, Tim, that, yeah. Tim, Tim is absolutely right. Um, uh, and I think, from what I remember, when I used to teach math in low income district down in Ajo, that uh, I think some of the worst paid teachers are actually here in Arizona. Yeah. And that would be something that probably needs to change sure. at least in the public sure in, in, sure it in does public school system sure it does and um you know and i'd be more and i have a great idea for it and it's not unique to me oh good it's just that the um, unions won't let you do it mm-hmm. give good and great that teachers is- a bigger and better salary and fire poor and underperforming teachers 
Absolutely. It, and know, and, and people happen. say, well, how can you tell? How can you tell who's – everyone knows. First of all, there are ways to do it. There are value-added ways yeah. to do it. The other thing is every sure. parent knows and every teacher knows who the good ones and who the lousy ones are. Let's quit playing games, right? I'm right about that, aren't I, Rob? Absolutely. Of course I am. Of course I am. Yeah. Um, also, Annie Biggs had brought up uh, some stuff, and then the news came up about the COVID death. Um, they've been uh, parroting like 500,000. Oh, yes. Joe Biden gave this lacrimal speech today about every time he speaks about it, he talks about, you know, so many families wake up at their breakfast table and they just look at that empty chair that used to be filled by someone. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, first of all. I I don't either. I don't know how many families sit around for breakfast, A. B, if they did, (laughs) I'm sorry. I am sorry that we lost... I am sorry that we lost one-tenth of a percent of our population with this well, disease, most of whom were over the age of 70. I'm sorry about that, but this lacrimal hand-wringing from him about the tragedy we all live in um, and how everyone knows someone whose life was cut short by COVID, it's not true. It's not no, true. No, it's not true. No, it's, it's not, not true at all, Seth. And And that's the thing that really drives me crazy because a half a million people have not died from exclusively COVID. That's correct. They may have had uh, COVID as a secondary... One-tenth of one percent of our population died with COVID, not from. Yeah, and not from it. And that just needs to be continually drummed into Americans' brains. But the media is not doing that. They're just throwing up a half a million Americans have died... Empty breakfast table seats. Who the hell is he talking about? I know. I know. Exactly. Now, one of the reasons I I know a lot of people. I don't know a family that that's true of, where they're missing someone at well, the breakfast table. I just don't know it. And he says it in every single speech. It's as if he can't yeah. get off this. It's weird. Well, yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, people don't necessarily differentiate uh, in America the, the – uh, died from no they have no idea that no that no most people yeah. just pick i gotta take a quick break plus we need this inspirational song stay with me we'll be right back by the way just to justify myself the song i thought was inspirational that we were going out with was light of a clear blue morning by dolly parton so i had the genre right just the song and the singer wrong it was <laughs> Instead, a sad lacrimal song about broken up love. <laughs> Rob, thank you for your patience, sir. Sorry. No, no. Thank you for your sense of humor, Seth. I, I think that's great. Um, uh, I had actually yesterday listened to uh, William Wolfe on his Middle East Forum yeah. uh, show. Yeah. And yesterday he had, I think it was an Israeli journalist, um, and he had talked about, they had talked about, I think somebody called in and asked about, you know, how come uh, the Israeli people are not, you know, demanding some sort of uh, uh, action by the Knesset over the fact that the Palestinian Authority, you know, the administrative arm of the PLO, um, are still uh, paying at least twenty five grand. For to families for those who have uh, blown themselves up. Yeah, the martyr fund, right? So, what people need to understand is the Palestinian Authority 
uh, the moderates, by the way, right? Uh-huh. Because Hamas mm-hmm. and Gaza are the extremists. So the moderates, which were the Arafat Abbas group in, in the West Bank, so they pay right. money. They pay a distribution. Yeah. They pay subvention yeah. to families who have terrorists that engage in, in killings of Jews. So if you kill a exactly. Jew, you get paid. Sorry, that's what you're and, talking about. And, and the scary part, Seth, is that... If you don't uh, get a park named to, after you, which can happen as well, if you're lucky. Well, yeah. But the scary thing with the Israeli journalist, he said, most Israelis aren't even aware right. of this. Right. And I thought... Right. Right. Holy smokes. Right. I mean, of all the people, right. uh, you know, who should know about right. these things, the Israelis right. ought to know, but right. they apparently don't. Right. Right. I, and, I'm not surprised. Really, I didn't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. It yeah. Surprise and I think me. that's really tragic mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I think the United States is still paying uh, the Palestinian authorities. I think Trump I stopped it. I think Trump stopped it. Uh, but you darn well know that it's going to be picked up again well exactly and and of course you know everything that's happened uh in the last month since the new regime took charge i can't think of a single thing that either joe and his executive orders have written up or uh anything in congress has been in the u.s national interest i mean and nobody seems to care or talk about it or get doesn't get in the media mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i don't understand that you know and again i know that i've sent you a couple because innocent life is cheap innocent mm-hmm. life is cheap israelis are the criminals um they're part of the west comprehension doesn't come as fast as uh as misplaced compassion uh mm-hmm. you know Israel is 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 uh, is 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 Goliath. The Palestinians are David. Uh, uh-huh. Never never mind that there are twenty two Arab states and one non Arab state, and that one non Arab state gives more civil rights to the Arabs who live there than any other Arab state gives to their own people. I mean, the world is upside I down know. in the Middle East, Rob. You know it, right? You oh, know everything I, know. I just said is true. Yep, absolutely. And and again, I I just. I'm shocked that more Israelis. It's kind of like American general ignorance. Michael Ledeen uh, once said, Michael Ledeen once said, if you want to explode the myth of Jewish intelligence, just look at how Israelis govern themselves. Yeah. Well, they do have a lot of political parties. Yeah, it's And true. yet, somehow, it seems to work out, with a few exceptions. But I think it's, it's just scary because you know, here you have this small country surrounded by, I think, still enemies who are trying to protect themselves, and yet uh, surrounded you know, by I mean, and infused with. I mean, it's 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 oh, yeah. it's it's really a modern miracle to think about how it exists um, in in not only the region but in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's oh, yeah. really quite an interesting thing, and yet the world the world just you know doesn't seem to care that much about it. And we'll make up myths yeah. and lies about it. Um, but, you yep. know, it's an old story. And, yep. you know, if it's West, it's bad. And if it's mm-hmm. and, and and if it's non-aligned, third-worldy, it's good. Yeah, absolutely, Seth. Also, again, I, w- I was going to talk about the whole uh, problem we have in the military with the social justice warriors. Oh, I know. we got to do that. You've been sending me some good emails on it. Save it for another day, yeah. but we'll get to it. You bet, Rob. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, and we again, will. Uh, thanks so much, and love you, man. You too. Um, we'll stay in touch. You bet we will.
I look forward to it. Where am I going to next? Steve in Tempe. Hi, Steve. Hi, Seth. How are you, man? Good. How are you? I'm well, sir. Kind of off the topic I was going to talk about. There's nothing off topic. People say that. Nothing is off topic. (laughs) Everything, it's all our territory, as Lincoln said. No, no, no. I I just wanted to comment on what what, uh, what you guys were just talking about sure. as it relates to the to Israel and and you know the unfortunate thing as related to Israel in, in that's that's very much the same as it is, is here in our country is their press is liberal and a lot yes, of people don't realize too. that They're, right the yeah. media is terrible and, there you're right yeah it is you're and right ask Benjamin Netanyahu yeah no that it's terrible until, you're right it's yeah. a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very much the same as what we're battling here. No, it's Maybe a not great point. I should have thought of it, but you're right to point it out. Yeah, um, Seth. I also what I wanted to you you were talking earlier about history and how history is one of the that most of the school age children are deficient in 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 history and and learning about our country yes. and everything else yes. and. The unfortunate thing about it, too, as it relates to that, is not only is history not being taught and not being absorbed by the by students in you know elementary school on on up to high school as as it used to be, but it's what's also happening is there are programs that are being filtered into the school system that are totally inaccurate i'm talking about the 1619 project which i know you're familiar with and and how that's starting to work its way into the education system which which essentially is you know i i've I've done some research on it just recently and 1619 project is is you know essentially they were the people that put it into place uh were saying that the first slaves that made their way to the U.S. by by force or whoever they they were they made their way into the into America uh, happened in 1619, and that the U.S. has been a, a racist country building on that. Yeah, on hold those, the thought, on Steve. The we'll come back to you on this when we come back. Okay, yeah. hold yeah. that thought. Okay. It's a big one, and sure. we need to talk more about it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day, have been doing so for over a year, got some friends and family to use it as well. They love it as much as I do, and you'll love it as much as I do, too. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients in one daily dose. It's all-natural vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness, reduced into vegetarian capsules using the unique cold-pressed process that boosts your health, your energy, and your immunity, gives you 10 servings, one dose, once a day, gives you 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, all the good stuff from apples and papayas and oranges to garlic and wheatgrass and spinach, cayenne pepper, you name it. And they have a great deal, just a great deal, 35% off and free shipping from any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. So give them a call today at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. 
and use discount code BALANCE. We were talking to Steve uh, about U.S. history and, um, and our, our current contentions. Hi, Steve. Thanks for your patience. Hi, Seth. You got it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, what I was just wanted to say is there's only one thing that's worse than not teaching history in, a, in its in its proper form and its accurate form, but but that's going in and implementing programs that are basically revisionist. And the 1619 project that I mentioned to you, and you probably know a whole lot more about it than I do, but I uh, what the I did some research on it and just learned about some of the basics about it, about the fact that the 1619 Project essentially is states that uh, America's first slaves came into the, into the country in 1619 and that, that our nation has been built on the backs of those slaves and, and been essentially a, a racist nation because of that. Uh, ever since, and I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, the, there's a lot more detail on what they're trying to implement. There, yeah, sure. So, I, yeah, right. No, so uh, I, I've I've done a bunch of monologues on it, and and there's two things going on here uh, that you're pointing to, Steve, that are absolutely essential to understanding um, the project. First is that until yesterday, or until the 1619 project, which came about about a year and a half, two years ago. Everyone thought we were founded in 1776 with our Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. And with that foundation of 1776, they thought that our calling card, as Frederick Douglass thought, as Abraham Lincoln thought, as Martin Luther King Jr. thought, as virtually every historian until yesterday thought, was about equality and liberty. So come the woke progressive historians and they say, well, we can't – we can't – we can't – we can't make a monster, a, a, a chimera of a country, if freedom and, and, and equality are, are, are its baseline, are its touchstones. So, so let's change the date so that freedom and liberty and equality are no longer its touchstones, but slavery is. So to do that, to make it slavery rather than freedom and equality, let's make it some other date some 100 and some odd years earlier than 1776. Let's go to 1619. So now slavery is when America was founded, though no founding father ever thought that. Thomas Jefferson wasn't even born, right? So now it's it's a different date that gives us slavery, not freedom and equality. That's point one. Point two, their curriculum is rife with inaccuracies and has been noted not by conservative historians, but by some of the most famous liberal historians the country knows, from Gordon Wood to Sean Willens of Princeton. They are all over the Internet talking about how wrong, wrong, factually inaccurate the 1619 Project is. Starting with the lead essay that says, quote, one of the primary reasons the colonists decided to declare their independence from Britain was because they want to protect the institution of slavery. Close quote. Wrong. On a million different counts. Not true. In fact, the opposite of the truth. So it's a miseducation and a misdirection in the service of taking down what we used to think of as the last best hope of Earth so that they can turn it into war, into the worst nightmare, 
the world has known. It's a terrible thing to do to our students and our children and our history and our country, and yet thousands of schools are taking it on. Why? Because it's the New York Times, and it's the woke, progressive thing to do. Don't you know if something's old, it has to be bad, and if it's new, it has to be good? Well, I'll give you something new. How about an understanding of our history as we used to have it? That would be new. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Milton is in Phoenix. Hello, sir. Welcome. Hi, Seth. I have to tell you, I heard you from days gone by with the um, Bennett Show. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, and, yes. Um, Bill, can you go out with Days Gone then. By by Jerry Rafferty? Days Gone By. That's a nice phrase, Milton. Thank you for that memory. Yeah. But I absolutely loved it, and then I stumbled into you, and I absolutely love your show. Well, thank you so much. I you're welcome. And uh, I thank you for this wonderful insight that you're giving us. Thank you. More, the thing I wanted to touch base on, I've heard everybody railing about this half a million dead from COVID. And, you know, I asked the question, how many people have survived? And nobody. We hear these percentages. I work in an engineering company. I asked everyone. None of them knew. Yeah. I decided to check it, and as of yesterday, there were 27,800,000. Yeah. That's almost the population of Canada. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And 27,433,000 have survived it. That's right. It is 99.9% recoverable. That. It is 99.9% recoverable, Milton. I know. And, and what we have done to ourselves, written. what we have done to ourselves over this, it's, 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 it's perhaps one of the most self-destructive things we've ever done to ourselves in our history. It's just, it certainly is. And, you know, I think we should shift the paradigm and start, rather than telling people 99, telling them, you know, 27 million plus people have survived this yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I am with scared. you. I am with you. And for those that have sadly lost their lives to it, we, of course, grieve I, and don't undermine it. But neither are we Absolutely. going to turn ourselves inside out and cause greater problems for our Absolutely. children and our, mean, and, our, and, our, and our future. And our schools and everything else. Oh, it's a horrible it's thing. Ridiculous. It's, it's a, I, you know, the historians are going to look back at this. I am sure of it. I am convinced yeah. of it. They are going to see the human cost and tragedy of everything we did, not 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 to to stop the not 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 to help people who were stricken by it, but the mitigation efforts that caused yeah. an unleashing of world poverty, of childhood yeah. hunger and famine in third world countries. Depression, suicide, and drug addiction, um, economic wreckage, unemployment. I, Milton, it's going to take decades to dig out dig out what we've done to ourselves over the last year. Decades. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I'd just like us to shift that paradigm. And just like you say, I grieve for those who have of died. Of course, of course, of and, course. And I, but I don't, I don't, I have to tell you, yeah. and I hope this doesn't come off callous. 
but I grieve for every death. And I don't know why certain diseases are more privileged than others. You know, the CDC has guidelines on obesity, too. And if you're not obese and you get this, you're going to have a much better time than if you are. And, you know, the CDC has guidelines on coronary arrest and coronary disease. And I'll tell you something. I grieve for people who die from that, too. But we don't turn our country and world inside out over it. Yeah. It's crazy. And we don't upset children's lives. You know, the flu takes the influenza takes more children's lives uh, every given year into into numbers that would astound most people if they looked at them. And we've never closed a school for the influenza ever. Yeah. My dad went to school with children who had polio. I grew up in the polio era. There you go. You remember era. it. You remember I took it. The polio vaccine back in my country. You, re- you remember you know, it. And that sort of thing. What country did you yeah, come so from, Milton? I'm from Jamaica. Welcome. You know, and I, you know, you were talking about the history there. And back in 2003, I got my citizenship. And I downloaded the history of the United States from Jamestown to 2003, read everything. When I went for the citizenship test, they asked me six of the dumbest questions that you could think of. <laughs> you had to be living on a rock not to know it. And that was it. I love you, Milton. Why don't you, know, you call more often, please? I will. I definitely will. Aww. And thank you for what you're doing. For no, us. thank really you. Thank it. you for helping make us a better yeah, place so. with your with your yeah. with your infusion of smart and common sense. What a nice thing to hear. What a lovely thing to hear. What a lovely person to become a citizen. Someone who loves this place and wants to contribute to it. An engineer. Is that what he said? He's an engineer. Oh, my gosh. More Miltons, please. More Miltons. Less Mona Charons. Mona Charon, she's one of these anti-Trump conservatives, maybe. She says she won't affiliate with the conservative movement anymore. And yet, you know, she worked in the Reagan administration and all that. I was talking about her the other day from an op-ed she wrote, which I just thought was insane. And then here's, here's something that took place. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Slate website. Years ago, it was started, I think, by a project with Microsoft, but it doesn't matter. It's a liberal <coughs> liberal left website that has a podcast attached to it. And they fired the podcast host, someone I, I don't know who he is, Mike Pesca. They, 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 they suspended him, sorry, suspended him without pay because he disagreed with the New York Times firing someone who used the N-word in a discussion about the use of the N-word. Okay, this wasn't the using of the N-word as an epithet. It wasn't using the N-word as an assault or an insult. He was talking about it in an intellectual conversation about whether it's appropriate to use in certain circumstances, not appropriate, who uses it, who doesn't, the problem behind it. He was talking about it. He wasn't using it. He gets fired. The Slate podcast host supports him, gets suspended. And Mona Charon writes, just when we need the left to be sane, there are things like this. 
She misses the whole point. The left isn't sane. She's wishing for something that cannot exist and joining a movement that doesn't comport to what she wishes it was. Stay with us and you'll be sane. She left the sane field for the insane field and doesn't recognize it and thinks this is the exception when it's the rule. At the end of the Revolutionary War, the United States came close to disaster. The government owed back pay to many officers in the Army, men who had fought long and hard for the nation's freedom. But Congress had no money, and rumors abounded that it intended to disband the armed forces and send them home without pay. As the weeks passed, the Army's cry for pay grew louder. The soldiers insisted that they had performed their duty faithfully, and now the government should do the same. They sent appeals to Congress with no effect. Patience began to wear thin. Tempers smoldered. At last, some of the officers encamped at Newburgh, New York, issued what amounted to a threat. The Army would not disband until paid. If necessary, it would march on Congress. Mutiny was close at hand. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that one man alone could persuade the Army to give the government more time. On March 15, 1783, George Washington strode into the Temple of Virtue, a large wooden hall built by the soldiers as a chapel and dance hall. A hush fell over the gathered officers as the tall figure took to the lectern at the front of the room. These men had come to love their commander-in-chief during the lean, hard years of fighting. Now, for the first time, they glared at him with restless and resentful eyes. A death-like stillness filled the room. Washington began to speak. He talked of his own dedicated service and reminded the group that he himself had served without pay. He spoke of his love for his soldiers. He urged them to have patience and pointed out that Congress in the past had acted slowly, but in the end, justly. He promised he would do everything in his power to see these men received what they deserved. He asked them to consider the safety and security of their new country, begging them not to open the floodgates of civil discord and deluge our rising empire in blood, his words. He appealed to their honor, quote, let me entreat you gentlemen on your part not to take any measures which viewed in the calm light of reason will lessen the dignity and sully the glory you have hitherto maintained, close quote. He paused. A restlessness pervaded the air. His audience did not seem moved. The men stared at him tensely. Washington produced a letter from a congressman explaining the difficulties the government now faced. He would read it to them. It would help them comprehend the new government's problems. He unfolded the paper. He started to read slowly. He stumbled over some of the words, then stopped. Something was wrong. The general seemed lost, slightly confused. The officers leaned forward. Then Washington pulled from his pocket something the men had never seen their commander-in-chief use before spectacles glasses gentlemen you must pardon me he said i have grown gray in your service and now find myself growing blind it was not merely what the beloved general said but the way he spoke those few simple words the humble act of his majestic of this majestic man touched the soldiers in a way his arguments had failed there were lumps in throats tears in the eyes the general quietly left the hall and the officers voted to give the Congress more time, George Washington had saved his new country from armed rebellion just by being who he was. Happy birthday, George Washington. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed.